Welcome to Carolina True Crime, a podcast presented by WMBF News in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where we take a deep dive into infamous crimes from the Carolinas, some with clear endings and others where mystery remains. I'm Ashley Talley, News Director at WNBF, and today I'm talking with our investigative reporter, Samantha Kumrer, about a case that happened in our area years ago. A man who, at first glance, seemed to be intelligent and charming and turned out to be far from that. Sam, who was Steven Stanko? Yeah, like you said, all those things, he was kind of described and depicted as this guy next door. You can see pictures of him. He looks like your average neighbor, like a professor. He could be really anything you want to be is what kind of authorities describe him as. And again, he's highly intelligent during you know, some of the trials that we'll get into. His IQ is well above average, 143. Mm-hmm. So he's just this smooth talker, really a nice, charming guy, mm-hmm. but also a habitual liar. Mm. Which sometimes can come together. Yeah, definitely yeah. makes it all much more convincing. Right. So he's a very convincing guy, and he uses his charm and his wiles to kind of attract different females, um, and that turns out to be kind of a negative thing. In his so, head. what was the first crime that we know that Stephen Stanko is convicted of? Yeah. So this story really begins in the late 1990s, and he's dating a woman, and they're dating for a while, and her name is Elizabeth Buckner, and this is in all in upstate South Carolina, so it's right here. And so they're dating for a while, but she begins, you know, that charm is kind of wearing off and she's starting to kind of pick up on something. So she actually says that he was pawning things around the house, stealing her jewelry, things like that, cheating different people and just stealing her checks, everything like that. And so she's starting to kind of catch on and being asking some questions and not really liking his behavior anymore. Have you listened to Dear John? Yes. Doesn't it it remind you of that a little bit, right? Like the same shady, you think he's fine. I think he's wonderful probably at first, right? Doting on her and then you kind of start seeing, you know, his other side shattering, right? Yeah. And so... That's kind of where she runs into trouble because she starts asking questions and not really liking his behavior. He's stealing things from her. He's cheating their neighbors, things like that. Um, And so she wants him to leave. And that's kind of where it happens. She says, you know, he actually poured Clorox onto a towel and put it over her mouth and tried to then suffocate her with this pillow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then he ties her up. Hold on. So she asked him to move out, and Mm -hmm. this is how he responded. Yeah. She wakes up actually, so she smells. She smells it before he kind of forces. So it she's on in her. bed. Yeah, she's in bed. She's like, "Are you cleaning the house?" Is what she actually says. Like, "What's that smell?" Mm-hmm. And that's when he kind of gets on top of her with this rag filled with Clorox, and kind of held it to her face, trying to suffocate her. Did she pass out? Do we know? Or she's still conscious because she actually hears him say, "I don't know why this isn't working. It worked in the movie." Oh my gosh! So he's clearly, you know, thinking about this beforehand, planning it out, yeah. taking steps. And then she says she's tied up and he just takes her to the bathroom to sit on the toilet while he takes a shower and starts humming. Just completely normal. Later he'll say he doesn't have any recount of any of this, but... That's so creepy. Yeah. Wow. So so then he ties her up at some point? He ties her up while she's in the bathroom, but then somehow... Oh, okay. So when he puts her in the bathroom, she's she's tied up so she can't get away. I need to take a shower, but you can sit here tied up Mm -hmm. in a completely normal day. But somehow, you know, 
that this didn't turn out to be one of those cases where it's the worst. Um, three mm -hmm. days later, he is arrested for kidnapping and aggregated assault. And then he is sentenced to 10 years in prison. Oh, wow. Okay. So he, what, for, what did you say? Assault? Aggregated assault and kidnapping. And kidnapping, right. There's not really a lot of details about how she gets out of this situation or the mm -hmm. kidnapping charges involved with it. But mm -hmm. she does survive this and lives to have this scary, she says, you know, her trust, you know, having oh someone do that to you is just yeah. kind of shaking her. But uh, obviously. Sentenced to 10 years. Okay. So he, does he spend all 10 years in prison? He spends a little bit over eight years. Okay. And then gets out. Okay. And that's kind of where... So this is like mid-2000s now? Yes, we're in 2004. Okay. But during this time, he's not just being your average prisoner. He actually writes a book with some other inmates in prison. Oh my gosh. What About what? About being in prison. So the book is called Living in Prison, A History of the Correctional System with an Insider's View. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Do they... Is it like sold and stuff like you can get it i tried to get it for some research but it's like 50 dollars, i guess or like probably wasn't yeah. much mini but, print yeah it just says the first section of the book kind of goes into corrections with a historical context and then the second kind of looks at correctional issues and then in that third section stanko as the inmate in the south carolina correctional system provides a detailed look at life from the inside so he's really you know rebranding himself as this intellectual author and that's mm -hmm. how he comes out of prison and ready to be know this reformed author okay I guess. yeah so even behind bars he's using his intellect yeah, to, so you can to do see, stuff yeah that he's a little bit different so yeah. he gets out um it's the summer of 2004 and mm -hmm. what better place to go than myrtle beach for the of summer of course okay so he chooses to come here didn't have family or here anything that we know no, of not that i know of he just moved here and uh fresh off that other book wanted to start writing another one mm -hmm. so he goes to the library a lot the Horry county memorial library of the soxty branch uh -huh. so he's spending a lot of time doing research there for his next book which is supposed to be about serial killers oh my gosh yeah so he's researching other serial killers apparently it's supposed to be about you know in my research i kind of saw it's supposed to be about serial killers and then you know a little bit through while he's doing it it kind of switches into like detail of how they do their murders and things but wow um, okay. Yeah, it kind of all comes out later. So what is the what is the library? The fact that he spends a lot of time there. What does that have to do with the rest of the story? Yeah, the library actually leads into the next crime that he's going to commit. It's there that he meets this librarian. She's a forty three year old woman, um, Laura Ling, and she's just a nice librarian. She's a divorced. She's also a parent, mm -hmm. and he kind of meets her along the way and. He doesn't hide the fact that he was, you know, a former inmate. Okay, so, he's, so he he's comes about that. He doesn't okay. really go into the details of, you know, I the Clorox and, and yeah, stuff, yeah, and everything like that. But he does say it, and he kind of mentions that he's an author, apparently, and you know, they start a relationship hmm. from this library. Yeah, this is very presumptuous on my part, but you have to think a divorced single mom, forty-three librarian. It's probably, I don't know that I would say easy prey, but you can see how. You know, that person wants a companion, and they're, and they're, you know. Well, being an author, too, you kind of self-reform. Oh, right, very yeah. kind of attractive, mm -hmm. and especially if you're into the books and everything. So yeah. it's easy, and if he's always there, you don't always get that many people in libraries. So right, right, exactly. Okay. So he starts, he befriends her, and then they start dating, but he also befriends another man who's uh, over 70 years old. His name is Henry Turner. And from all accounts of the research, they're just kind of, you know, friends going on. And um, This is at the library, too? This is all at the library. Okay. So very social place for him. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so he becomes friends with him. But um, Laura Ling, they start dating. And two months after they meet, um, so like the end of summer, he actually moves in with her. And she lives over in Merle's Inlet. Okay. So now he's living with her and her teenage daughter. Okay. How old's her daughter at this Around time? Around 15. Okay. You know? 
All right. Um, I'm obviously there's a sense of foreboding here. So he moves in, and what happens? He's not quite the reformed inmate that he wants to be. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, there's interviews and everything, and everyone says he's a normal guy. He makes her happy. Like everything seemed normal. Just like before. Just like before until April of um, 2005. So this is now, you know, just a few months after they met, Six less months, than a year right, since yeah. he gotten out. Um, mm-hmm. And this is really, it's April 8th, and this is when the incident that kind of really brings this area and this crime to fruition. Okay, so walk me through that day. What happened on April 8th, 2005? So apparently the two, Laura Ling and Stephen Stanko, get into an argument, and he says that she kind of pushed the cigarette and it fell into his face and then he just forgets everything else that happens. But um, That's like the only part of the day that he he says he remembers. Yes, until a little bit later when he claims he regains his consciousness. (sighs) It's convenient. So during that, I think he um, beats her and then he goes into the daughter's room and he says, scream and I'll kill you both. And so she's kind of freaked out. What's going on? What's happening? And so she looks into her mother's room and she sees her mom lying on the ground, kicking, incoherent, and moaning. So still alive, oh, but just so confused. Clearly beaten badly. And then she is uh, beaten over the head. The daughter then, Stephen Stanko, hits her, and she's hit over the head. And she regains consciousness to have him on top of her. And she's, you know, fighting him. But uh, he then rapes her. The teenage daughter. With the mom in the room. Yeah. Oh, my moaning. God. Yeah. It's just, you know, this terrible thing. And the whole time, yeah, her mom is still on the ground moaning and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not quite done terrorizing. If that's not enough, like, it's not over yet. He uh, then strangles Laura, who's still alive. Now he he finishes her off. While, he kills her. Yes. While her daughter's in the room. Yep. Strangles her with his bare hands. Oh, my gosh. Yep. And then, and then he's not done with the daughter yet either. Then he goes and makes two slits in her throat. With a knife? Mm-hmm. So two slits so it doesn't totally cut it but it doesn't cut too, doesn't cut deep enough i guess if, if I guess. he is trying to kill her but the thing is then he goes and again he likes to take the showers i guess he goes and takes the shower and that's when he says that he regained his consciousness so he's taking the shower he regains consciousness he comes out and he says he sees the bodies he checks for a pulse and thinks they're both dead uh-huh and so then he leaves but it's not like he's you know remorseful very he uh kind of he doesn't call the police or he anything call the police or anything yeah Wow. So he says that he just basically blacked out during this incident, yeah. this incident and has no recollection. I mean, certainly if he slit the girl's throat, there had to be blood everywhere. And oh, there's blood everywhere. Um, later, one of the Georgetown Lieutenant, George County Sheriff's Office lieutenants says this crime scene is one of the most brutal that he's seen in his whole 15 years of working there. Mm-hmm. So this was a, a very gruesome crime scene. So what does he do from there? So from there, obviously, he doesn't call authorities, doesn't turn himself in. He actually um, steals her car. Mm-hmm. It's a, a Mustang, a red Mustang, I believe. And then he empties her bank account. So he got the money, got the car. And this is when, um, as we talked about earlier, his friend, his other friend that he befriended at the library, he actually goes to his house, Henry Turner's in Conway. Mm-hmm. He's older. He said he's over 70. Yeah, he's, he's an old man. He's mm-hmm. got kids. He's, you know, and he goes to his house and he tells him um, his father just died. Stanko tells Henry, yeah. Henry that his dad just lies and says his dad just died. Yeah, and so he's like, can I stay here with you for a little bit? And actually, you know, some accounts say that he then went out to go get breakfast for the two, and they're just going to hang out. Um, and then he comes back, and again, something just snapped, and he shoots Henry Turner in the back and then shoots him again and steals his car and leaves. No provocation that we know of. No. This man has been a friend to him. Just a nice old man, yeah. 
Was it Stanko's gun or was it Henry's gun? Henry had guns, I guess, because okay. then, he, then he steals Turner's car with mm-hmm. some firearms and more money. Inside it. Okay. So he goes to the guy's house, perhaps gets breakfast, and it's somehow... Do we know how long he was there before he shot him or anything? It sounds like it was pretty quick kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, when he was out, some sources just say that uh, Turner then called his son and was like, oh, my friend is here. So that's how that was kind of linked. And then... I guess Turner was supposed to be somewhere later that afternoon, and the son was like, well, he never showed up or anything for days, and that's how they um, kind of started the search then. Wow, so while Stanko was there, he, uh, the son, Henry's son called him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they could place him there basically at that time. So, all right, so he steals Henry's vehicle with firearms, more money. Where does he go now? So you think you just you committed two crimes. This is when you're kind of supposed to be on the hideout or, you know, right. kind of he is running, but he's not exactly hiding because he um, decides to have a little bit of fun. So he drives um, Turner's car, this pickup truck that he has, to Columbia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And he goes to a bar for happy hour, the Blue Marlins Bar, I believe. Oh, <laughs> and, my gosh. Uh, yeah, he's just there for a happy hour for a little bit. Um, so that's like a two and a half hour drive or so from here. Um, killed two people drives to Columbia to go to a bar. That's, it's, that's crazy. Yeah, and uh, this he's, like, I guess telling the people at the bar, like, all this made-up stories, too, and they are later interviewed saying they didn't quite believe him, but... What sort of stories do, we, do you he know? He was just, like, elaborating about what his life was and what his profession was and just something, you know, mm-hmm. guys ranting at the bar kind of, I guess, they mm-hmm. just nodded, but later were like, oh, I guess that was a little off. Yeah. But uh, he's not done yet, so he doesn't stay in Columbia. Okay. That's, I guess, smart. It's a little close. So Mm -hmm. he actually goes to Augusta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And during this time, it just happens to be when the Masters is going on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, So he's there. (coughs) He again goes out to a bar and uh, meets a girl. Oh, no. So he just kills. He thinks he killed three people, right? Right. He thinks the daughter's dead, but um, he's out there meeting another girl. Oh, my gosh. Does he go home with this girl? Yeah, he goes home with her. He apparently meets her parents. He stays with her. He goes to church with her. There's a church video of them together. Oh, my gosh. All within a few days. Oh, I, I can barely <laughs> like, understand. Know. So on still April 8th is the day that he meets this girl, too? I think it's a few days later. Okay. Um, so it's like around April 12th, mm-hmm. you know, along those time yeah. frames, early April. He's... I think caught just a few days after this happened. So all of it's happening very quickly. Okay. But he's, again, very charming, very attractive, looks normal. He's telling her longing longing and loving things, mm-hmm. and she thinks it's, you know, a good a de- right. deal. Oh, look at this guy that I met. It's, it's, it's awesome. He's going to go to church with me, too. He's just murdered, he believes, three people, meets this girl, goes to church, everything seems great. What happens next? So during this time, kind of running parallel... Um, back at the house in Merle's Inlet, the daughter, the teenage daughter who was raped, saw her mother die, is is still alive. So the slits weren't quite deep enough to kill her. And his pulse, that's kind of one of the miracles. Like, if he had found that her pulse was still going... He then, probably would have cut yeah, again. Yeah, so whatever he was looking at, or it just it was a miracle in this case. So mm-hmm. she calls 911, and, um, you know, there is Dateline episodes on this and everything, and um, you hear that audio, and it's this chilling audio of the girl speaking and on the phone you know she's she's sobbing and she's you know really just in disbelief like of course. how does this happen Distraught. so yeah some of it she's just saying like my mom is dead oh my god this isn't supposed to happen to me and she she you know sobbing i tried to put up a fight i tried i really did my mom is dead <sighs> and so that's when the authorities come they see this 
brutal, savagely beaten woman and the crime speed blood is smeared all on the walls. Mm-hmm. Like it's really poor girl's been raped. I mean, it, yeah, it's terrible. She later tells, um, recounts this, the moment to WIS in Columbia in 2007 and says she just kept telling herself, don't do it. Don't look at her mom on the ground. I don't want to be the last image I have of my mom. Oh. So this girl, you know, is incredibly brave to be calling and then to surviving all this. Um, well, I can't imagine, too, how much she must have bled out for her to be so lifeless that he believed that she was yeah. dead. And then coming to, and I mean, I wonder if she could even walk, you so know, like, yeah, getting to, to get the, the phone. phone. Yeah, that's what I've kind of been putting in my head. Just how did you, did she have to crawl, you know, right. just terrible. Ugh. And she, you know, they ask her in this audio when she's on the phone with the 911, um, they're kind of asking her, did you ever think he would do this? And in that moment, too, she said, no, no, I never thought. Never would have so picked up she, on it. So she, even at that, identified who it was. Yeah, they're like, do you know who did it? And she mm-hmm. says, my mom's boyfriend, Stephen Stanko. Okay. And so that's all right there. And so they know. Um, and it's just terrible. Like I said, it's a brutal time, crime scene. Then they find her beaten and everything. Um, and they actually also find articles about serial killers in the home. Oh, wow. Because um, like he was researching. Killer, but he was researching, apparently, is how the story goes. But also, you know, never good to find that at a crime scene. Right. Like, yeah. Um, so that's kind of also just adds to the eeriness of it. Yes. Um, so they, they locate then the cars in Conway, the Mustang that he stole, um, and they put out a $10,000 reward for this man, and it's a, it's a, it's a manhunt for mm-hmm. him. They don't know where he is. And mm-hmm. he, we know now he was in Georgia. Do, so did they connect him to Henry's murder when they find his car? Yeah, because they see that car. And so they go in, and the sign had said he didn't show up. Okay. And so that's all connected, but now they're, you know, where is he? Right. And so they have the award out. They're putting his poster everywhere, and that's kind of where um, this woman that he met in Georgia uh, actually comes in downfall because uh, her, her friend phones her and is like, hey, you know, that guy you've been seeing, I think you should really check the newspaper, page five or something. Uh-huh. And, you know, she flips to it, and there's a photo of him wanted for murder. For murder. Can you imagine? What's going through your head? Like, I'm buying this guy in my house. How do I safely get away from it? Like, yeah, so she's also lucky to be alive, but she immediately calls the authorities and um, they kind of start tracking her phone. And Mm -hmm. so one of the last messages that he left for her is him just like conveying his deep, you know, longing and love for her, which is days after he kills his longtime girlfriend and rapes her daughter. So they're able to use that tracking that they have with the cell phone and track him and they arrest him in a parking lot. In Georgia. In Augusta, Augusta Georgia. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Does he, do you know if he put up a fight or anything or if he tried to get away? The The video that I saw of the incident, it, just, it was after he was kind of captured. But I think if he didn't even know that they're on, you know, he thought he was so smart and charming. He didn't even know that they would get right. him and that they just kind of found him at that space. It's just him kind of walking away with a bunch of authorities. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. So it sounds like it wasn't a... They didn't have to chase him or anything. So he is he brought back to Horry County? He, he is brought back, uh, I think, to Georgetown. You might want to check okay. that. Okay. Well, um, probably because maybe the Merle's Inlet section that she lived in was then, in Georgetown. Yeah. Okay. And so this happens in um, 2005, right? And um, so then the, his first trial for all this is in 2006. Okay. Um, for it's The first trial is for Laura Ling. So they, they do the murder trial separately? Mm-hmm. They might have even been in two different counties. You know, if yeah. um, Henry lived in Conway. Conway, yeah, so that would have been right. Okay, so yeah. what happens during this trial? So during the trial, one of the, you know, the most haunting images, I guess, is the daughter is 
testifies and mm. she's holding uh you know they don't show her face or anything but you see her clutching a teddy bear on stand oh kind my of god recounting the whole thing and so that was you know terrible and it's actually the county's first death penalty case in nearly a decade so that just kind of shows even more you know we got this most gruesome tr- crime scene and then it's the first death penalty case in mm-hmm. a decade so it's just something that doesn't happen to you know more than the quiet small seaside town yeah. like this is just something that's new for them um and yeah so in his defense how do how do you defend this guy when you have all this evidence you have a witness like so their defense is that he was insane they um the insanity defense i've always heard that that you should never do that it never works they decide to go for it he didn't know what he was doing they actually in courtroom um they show uh, PT scans of his brain and are describing, you know, a defect in the frontal range of frontal range lobe of his brain. And now this is the section that, um, if it's damaged, can cause people to become antisocial, impulsive, and violent. It's also the area of the brain that doctors say like make us human. So they're arguing, right? If there's damage here, then clearly he's not responsible. Um, he can't make a conscious decision, is what kind of their mm-hmm. argument is. So not even saying he didn't do it, obviously, because that's so clear, but probably just trying to avoid the death penalty at this point. Or I guess to avoid the murder charge if he wasn't responsible for it. Yeah, just, you know, saying that he didn't know what he was doing. It wasn't his fault. He had this defect, right? Right. Um, Does does the jury buy it? No, it doesn't work at all. So he's uh, found guilty and then later convicted convicted to a death penalty. Sentenced sentenced to to death. death Okay. Is he tried for Henry's murder, or does he not need to be since? Nope, then 2009, so then three years later, this guy's already, you know, convicted of murder, but 2009, he again is then found guilty. Same thing, they do the same, you know, insanity defense and everything, but uh, doesn't work again, he's found Mm -hmm. guilty, and also sentenced to death. Okay, so where is he now? Well, in the last decade, right, that was 2009, in the last decade, you know, for viewers around this area, they've probably heard his name because he's gone back and forth filing appeals and, you know, he's still alive. He's mm-hmm. on death row in South Carolina, but um, he's still filing appeals. Even right now, um, he has he's listed as a plaintiff with other inmates on a case against the South Carolina Department of Corrections for cruel and baseless confinement. Mm. But, uh, yeah, he's still he's still alive. Has anybody ever interviewed him? Yeah, so Dateline, so this guy is kind of famous. Yeah. His Dateline, 48 Hours, have done extensive kind of episodes on him. Mm-hmm. And so he's been interviewed. In the interviews, he just, he said, it's it's hard to believe people, right, when they're so charming and you know that they're right. a liar because you have all these women kind of saying that they're a liar and everything. Yeah. Um, but he is also, you can tell, like, when you're watching him talking and on video that he is very... Very talkative, you know, very like, I didn't do, I didn't know. So it's like, like convincing that yeah. y- you can see how a woman would fall for it. He's supposed to be, you know, they're talking to him about his, you know, high school record and him being very smart. He scored very high in the SAT and, you know, they call him like this all-American boy in high school and they ask him about that and he's like, yeah, I could have done anything and everything, but. Wow. And then it's just hard to believe, you know, then you have these blaring, like, look at what right. you did. You can't. Yeah, you can't deny any of that. To me, the most not the most disturbing, the most disturbing thing is obviously what happened to Laura Ling and her daughter, but the researching the serial killers. Do you think, I wonder, like, looking back, if they are, like, that was a sign that, you know, it's one thing to be 
interesting. You know, everyone likes those crime shows and they watch. But oh, or podcasts like this one. Extensively be researching and studying. And then apparently it switched from just like covering it to covering the crime and then How the method of the crime. Yeah. You would think that that would raise some red flags for somebody. Because if you, you know, any environment you surround you, if you're just constantly, you know, yeah. researching one thing, it's going to always be on the front of your mind. Right. But that front part of his mind that didn't work, perhaps, yeah. according to his lawyers. <laughs> so he remains on death row to this day. Yep. South Carolina hasn't executed anyone in a while. In a long time, yeah. Um, I know that the drug used for lethal injection, you know, there's all the... Mm-hmm. the exactly, yeah. the controversy about that and supplying it and everything. Um, do you know anything about where Ling's daughter today... So in 2007, when WIS did that um, story, like sit down with mm-hmm. her, which was so immediate after the crime, only yeah. a year, um, they were talking about how she was grad. She did have plans to go on to university, and she was graduating with honors and things like that. Good. So, so hopefully she hopefully as much as you can recover from something like this. I'm yeah. sure it's always that haunting image that will be stuck in your head. Right. So. This was almost 10 years ago, I guess. Danko, you said, still on death row. Um, Has anything happened lately with the case? Yeah, I mean, in the last year, he's been back in the courtroom. um, And I was actually got to be there. That's right, yeah. And so it was kind of... Well, that must have been so interesting, having, Mm -hmm. like, researched this guy and talked, you know, for the podcast about it and then seeing him in person. It's almost like watching a movie, you know, or reading a book, and then you see the star of it, like, right in front of you. Except the chilling details of this made it so much creepier that he was just there a, a, a row in front of me almost. Wow. How, what did he look like? How, I mean, did he look like you expected? He looked, I mean, like we kind of talked about earlier and he, he looks like a normal guy. You yeah. Know? It's like hard. Which was kind of his MO, right? I mean, he was just, he was just calm and it was weird being, you know, trying to associate all these crimes with a face and mm-hmm. then being in the presence of that was, you know, eerie. Um, and going back to that, the most haunting part of all of it, I don't know why, is the young girl's throat being cut and her surviving and mm-hmm. just thinking of a person capable of that that's five feet from you it's yeah crazy she never saw it coming you know right right that 911 call she's like i never thought and everyone else you know didn't think so either yeah and then part of this hearing that happened just in january was his brother was also there oh interesting and so his brother testified that he uh had never been asked to testify before so this was his first time speaking on behalf huh. of so that he gave even more details of this history of this man mm-hmm. that we didn't even gleam and to see that connection was also kind of what did they say about his background what did his brother he, did he um, talk about them having a troubled childhood or nope again he painted it that we had a normal childhood i guess the dad was in the military so they moved around a lot but he painted the picture of his brother steven stanko as you know an athletic outgoing guy and they played baseball together i believe and yeah. It was, you know, you're like, this could happen to anyone. All-American guy. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. Ted Bundy-like, where this normal guy yeah. dated women. Um, and then when he goes to Augusta, right? When yeah, he when was, he just starts, like, with women and yeah. some drinking. It's crazy. Yeah, crazy. Um, so what was that hearing for that you went to? Yeah, this was what they call a post-conviction relief hearing, I believe, is the, you know, long mm-hmm. term for it. And what this was, he already had one of these. This was related to the Ling murder. So he had two separate trials earlier, but this was related to Laura Ling, mm-hmm. the woman, his girlfriend who died. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had one of these in 2015, but the this, same post-conviction relief yes, hearing. Now this one is almost like a second one to see if his lawyers in. Um, so wait, let's go back. 2015. Yep. Did they say, "Sorry, buddy, you're going back to jail"? Is that just how it? Yeah. I'm, yeah. Because yeah. 
And so, but then he argued that his lawyer for that was incompetent. Oh. So it's like a double, you know, like. And Got ya. So this one was to determine if his lawyer's, like, lack of qualifications affected the outcome of that initial hearing. Of the 2015 yes. hearing. Wow. Which was about the previous ones. Okay. That's so interesting. So where does that stand now? First of all, did Stanko testify himself? He, I don't know. I don't think he did. Okay. Um. You'd remember he was just that, I, quiet. I think I would remember, yeah, him yeah. talking. Mm-hmm. He just quietly was just observing it all. Um, but, yeah, so the potential for this is that he could have an entirely new murder trial and everything. Wow. Um, but where that stands right now, that was back in the end of January, and we're mm-hmm. now, you know, in June, six months, five months later, and they're still, they're still talking it over. We're hearing from the courts, and the judge is still deciding on it. So Interesting. So let's, I know, you're not a lawyer, but if that were to happen, I guess they, then they would go back and have another, you know, if they, if they were to say, yes, your lawyer was too experienced, mm-hmm. we're going to knock out that, then they would go back to the hearing to see if the original trial was biased or, or incomplete in some way, right? Yeah, they were saying, you know, that, yeah, it could be an entire, they go back to square one again, which would be... Oh, that they would go all the way back to a murder trial. trial. Interesting. Because this was... Almost, I mean, in the courtroom itself, they're presenting evidence about the initial trial, too. So they're doing another post-conviction relief. So I think if they determined that, it would just start they all would, over They would again. both be lumped in together. Okay, wow, but that's, again, that's so, crazy yeah, interesting. It would have uh, a lot of financial impact on the area because murder trials take a long time and yeah. resources. So. You're right, and we have such a backlog as it is. And to bring that uh, all those victims through that again to right. testify years and years later. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we will keep people updated if, if um, yeah. how this goes. And you can always go to our website, WNBFnews.com, if you ever want to see, um, you know, any updates on these stories. You can watch Sam's full report from January about Stephen Stanko. So um, until we have to do a, another part, Sam, thank you. Thank you for listening to Carolina True Crime a podcast presented by WMBF News. To learn more about the story you heard here and other mysteries and crimes from across the Carolinas, go to our website, wmbfnews.com.